disappointing uh, to some, so I, I beg your indulgence. Uh, biblically, however, it is the job of a pastor to talk about how to communicate as well as to talk about what to communicate. Uh, so um, there we have it. And communication skills are also uh, the kind of stuff that is pretty much essential to modern marriage, wherein husband and wife expect of each other a best friend, an intimate friendship, as well as the provision of physical needs, uh, as well as being lovers. So uh, leaving aside for today the command, slow down, uh, which actually is a sermon in itself, but leaving that aside, let's just concentrate on the words, you're driving too fast. What's wrong with these words, you're driving too fast? Well, to begin with, actually, these words are an accusation. They are an accusation of culpable, blameworthy conduct, an accusation that includes an implied rebuke. And most of us um, actually do not like being accused, and we do not like being rebuked. To be sure, occasionally in life, we find that we cannot avoid uh, accusations and rebukes, but they are always painful. To continue with why these words aren't helpful, uh, they may or may not be true. We don't know. Or at least they may not be true from the driver's perspective. He or she may be driving well within the speed limit or well within his or her capability or may be justified by how late they are now running through no fault of his. So it is very unlikely that the driver will accept the accusation and the rebuke and very likely that the driver will now vigorously defend themselves and their actions. Or worse, the driver now may respond with counter-accusations and counter-rebukes. And we now have two sides in open warfare, two positions being defended, two sets of trenches being dug. And all of the magnificent tools of adult communication, wit, logic, reason, testimony, memory and argument, all of those wonderful tools being used in the service of self-righteousness. I'm right, you're wrong, deal with it. And the shame of it is, is that while this argument is unfolding, actually they've run over something. What have they run over? Well, actually they've run over an opportunity. They've actually run over an opportunity to get to know each other better, an opportunity to deepen their relationship rather than to damage it. So why did the wife say, slow down, you're driving too fast? Why did she say that? Anyone like to hazard a guess? Too, she's scared. She felt uncomfortable. They're, they're two very, very reasonable guesses. But in actual fact, the right answer is this. We don't know. Um, let's imagine that the reason is that she's feeling uncomfortable, that she's feeling scared and anxious because the situation represents danger to her, the danger of a car accident. So let's say that in this scenario, she is indeed feeling anxious. Here's another question. Is that a legitimate feeling? Yes, it is. That's the correct answer, and we can all be sure of that because all feelings are legitimate. There are no illegitimate feelings. No one can ever be criticized for their feelings. 
for their emotions. We are not in control of our feelings. We are in control, or indeed we must take responsibility for our thoughts and actions, but our feelings just happen. Uh, Let's now imagine that the wife opens the conversation. In fact, there'd been stony silence there in the car for some time. But let's now imagine that she opens that same conversation with, I'm feeling anxious, very anxious. Uh, These are good words to start with. These are good words because they are true, because they cannot be contested or criticized, because there is no accusation or rebuke in them. And most importantly, because the woman is being vulnerable, communicating something to her husband that he doesn't know. Most men, by and large, most of us respond to vulnerability well, by and large. Most of them, actually, we kind of like to be heroes. We like to solve the problem. We like to be the solution. Perhaps we can now then imagine the conversation going something like this. I'm feeling anxious, very anxious. Would you like me to slow down? Yes, that would be good. Thank you. Are you feeling a bit angry? Actually, I'm feeling very angry. Is that because I made us late? This conversation is now going in a completely different direction. Uh, And we can leave it there. But every conflict is an opportunity to get to know each other better. But if that's true, then it's because we must take that opportunity as an opportunity to learn, to talk openly about our feelings without fear of rejection. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Um, It is hard to talk about our feelings, because when we do so, we make ourselves vulnerable. We, We open ourselves up, and we lay ourselves bare before another. And as adults, many of us have forgotten how to do this, or indeed, perhaps never even learnt in the first place. But talking about feelings is a fundamental discipline, essential to the Christian understanding of marriage. So let's continue with a basic guide. Step one, learn. let's learn to think accurately about feelings versus thoughts. And this can be confusing in our world because we often use the two terms interchangeably. Your boss, for example... Uh, may be talking to you about a billion-dollar oil and gas development, and he might ask you how you feel about the proposed plan. He's actually wanting your thoughts, but confusingly, he's asked you about your feelings. I suggest that the next time he does that, you respond by telling him how you feel. Oh, I feel happy. Oh, so happy. Shall I tell you why I'm feeling happy? Let me share my thoughts. Uh, talking recently to a married couple about this, about, about talking about feelings rather than thoughts, um, and incidentally not a couple who go to this church, indeed not a couple who live in Perth, um, the wife immediately responded uh, uh, by saying to her husband, I feel that you don't listen to me. Well, that's not a feeling, is it? It's an accusation. So we use feeling words to talk about feelings. If you don't know any feeling words or can't think of the right feeling word, then just memorize three. Let's start with three. Mad, glad, sad. That's a good place to start. Pick one of those three. 
And from there, we can acknowledge that the English language is blessed with a vast vocabulary when it comes to feeling words. For example, we may be feeling mad, but uh, upon reflection, we could consider that we might be actually feeling angry, annoyed, irritated, livid, irate, cross, furious, incensed, disgusted, outraged, infuriated, indignant, or frustrated. To feel frustrated is not the same as to feel irritated. If I feel sad or bad, then actually I might be feeling depressed, anxious, afraid, melancholy, fearful, ashamed, embarrassed, disappointed, distressed, horrified, terrified, guilty, lonely, rejected, etc., etc., etc. We've got this great vocabulary. We just need to learn it. Um, Australian males, by the way, Australian males are typically, not always, but Australian males typically are extremely poor at talking about their feelings. Uh, almost entirely clueless. Many of them, if not most. This is cultural, not biological. Men in some other cultures excel at this. And their hands a lot. But it does mean for Australian males, and especially for young Australian males preparing to spend the rest of their lives in the company of their chosen woman, that they've actually got some hard work to do, learning a vocabulary that is new to them. And actually, this is very serious. In the end, uh, the future of their relationship may depend upon it. And actually, this is deadly serious, possibly a matter of life or death. I heard an academic recently comment that the spiraling rate of family homicides here in Western Australia and overseas may be linked to a cultural, masculine inability to process strong feelings. They do not know how to talk about what they're feeling. With respect to learning the vocabulary then of feelings, one good place to start, and there are many, but one good place uh, is the book of Psalms. The Psalms teach us how to express our feelings, all of our feelings, to God openly, candidly, and honestly. We've already this morning prayed together Psalm 56, and in that we expressed fear, anxiety, hatred, and anger. So praying the book of Psalms is good for our relationship with God and good for our relationships with others. And so then when we, when we talk about our feelings, we're learning to use language differently. For us as adults, it's very easy to use language and to use our thinking to justify and rationalize, to argue persuasively, to win the debate. When it comes to communicating in the context of loving relationships, we need to use language and learn to use language in a very different way. In essence, we need to learn to tell the truth about ourselves and to stop trying to manipulate others. So then, if we're going to talk about our feelings, we need to use feeling words. Uh, what did this person mean when they said, I feel that you don't listen to me? Well, actually, we don't know. And we won't know until she tells us. Perhaps she meant, I feel sad, or I feel hurt, or I feel depressed, useless, rejected, angry, ashamed, embarrassed. As soon as she tells us, then we'll know. Well, we've begun by uh, talking about talking. 
And we've begun by talking about feelings. Let's now consider listening. And I'm going to begin with a confession. I'm a very poor listener. Anyone who knows me knows how true that is. Um, My poor listening skills are a liability with respect to my marriage, my friendships, and my job. However, because listening is such an extremely important part of my job, I have learned some techniques that are very powerful. I can therefore, on occasion, be an extremely good listener. I just need to to be self-aware enough to go, hold on, listen, and then apply those techniques that I've learnt. On those occasions, when when I'm aware of what's going on, I can be a very good listener. And here are some of those very powerful techniques. Firstly, the technique of saying nothing at all. Um, I learned about the power of doing this, both in theory and in practice, when I was a hospital chaplain at Royal Perth Hospital. Uh, One morning, I was visiting patients on a general surgery ward. I met a man there who was recovering from surgery. He'd just had a uh, foot amputated, and he was also, uh, also he was blind. Um, I introduced myself according to my standard formula. Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm a chaplain assigned to this ward. How are you today? And he proceeded to tell me about his life, his illness, and the impact it had made on him, and what it was like to live alone, blind, in one of Perth's most depressing and depressed suburbs. Uh, He was clearly feeling just awful about everything, and he spoke in figurative terms of wishing that he was dead. Uh, The picture that he painted of his life was, uh, to me at that time, staggeringly bleak. And as he spoke, I was praying, Dear Lord Jesus, please help me to know what to say to this man. For I was dumbfounded. Anyway, after he'd been speaking for about 10 or 15 minutes, he paused. I mean, as people do, perhaps, you know, so as to let me reply. I opened my mouth. And nothing came out. I was simply lost for words, literally speechless. That's how Christ answered my prayer. The man didn't pick up on that. He simply interpreted my silence as an invitation to keep speaking, and so keep speaking is what he did. Every few minutes, he'd pause for my response. Every few minutes, I stood there speechless. He continued to interpret this silence as an invitation to keep speaking, and so off he went again. This went on for maybe 45 minutes or so. However, as he spoke, his mood lifted. And after about 45 minutes, he suddenly remembered that a friend was coming into the hospital to have lunch with him, and that actually he was really looking forward to that. And so he concluded, well... Thank you so much for coming to see me today. We've had a lovely chat. Please come again tomorrow. And I nodded and left. Which probably wasn't that helpful given that he was blind. (laughs) But pastorally, actually, pastorally, I'd done my job. Um, I'd done my job. I'd enabled him to cope with his experience of hospitalization. Um, I had given him courage. I had encouraged him. And I had done that by standing there, listening, and by saying nothing at all. Saying nothing 
can be incredibly powerful. Good reporters know this technique, and they use it not as a technique, but rather as a trick. Margaret Thatcher and Richard Nixon, two of the most hardcore politicians of the 20th century, were both led into staggeringly public confessions on television, and they were led by television interviewers who knew about the power of saying nothing at all and when to apply it. When caring for people in deep pain, saying nothing at all can be tremendously important. Job's friends, and I don't mean this flippantly, Job's friends were doing an outstanding job until they opened their mouths. But we should also care with our mouths. So when it is time to say something, what should we say? Well, here is my next technique. Listen, label, or guess, and underestimate. As your friend speaks, listen to them carefully. If they haven't used feeling words, uh, and that might be because they're telling you about events, they're, they're telling you facts, they're, they're, they're uh, communicating to you what has transpired. If they haven't used feeling words, then try to label for them the feeling that they've experienced. And you do that by guessing, because you can't possibly know until they've told you. But guessing is perfectly acceptable. And it doesn't matter if you guess wrong. People will hear that you're trying to understand them and they will be encouraged. So you might say, when that happened, did that make you a bit angry? And they might respond with, no, not angry. I I, I guess just more annoyed. But inside, that person will start to feel better because someone out there is listening to them. Somebody is understanding how they feel. Someone is knowing them better. Underestimate, don't overestimate. For some reason, we are all very patient with people who underestimate, but we feel misunderstood if they guess and overestimate. For example, I might have said, oh, when that happened, you must have been furious. If wasn't furious, just irritated, they'd feel misunderstood and perhaps annoyed at me being so thick. So guess, label, underestimate. Um, Once when I was a university college chaplain in uh, Melbourne, I stupidly offended a workmate by saying some very insensitive things. Um, I accidentally insulted her taste in English literature, which in the case of this particular friend was not a good thing to do. As soon as I realized that she was angry with me and actually she was furious, I waited a couple of days and then invited uh, her and another friend around for a cup of tea. Uh, Once the three of us were settled, I said to my workmate, "Uh, when I said such and such, were you a little bit angry with me? And she replied, I was very angry with you. (laughs) And thereafter, away she went, speaking for about 20 minutes, really letting me have it for my ignorance, insensitivity, and the inappropriateness of my comments. And I was all really happy about this because I knew what it meant. I knew that it meant that our friendship would survive, which it did. After 20 minutes or so, her anger was gone. And it was gone because she had expressed it. And then after 20 minutes, she was calm 
and happy to receive my apology and to grant me forgiveness. Yeah, that's the feelings, actually. Uh, we store them away and they stay with us forever until they are expressed. I gave her the opportunity to express her anger, at which point, in the expression of it, those feelings disappeared, and they disappeared forever. Feelings can be expressed in lots of different ways. You can express feelings and not use words. Uh, shouting, uh, crying, tears, screams of joy, fear, grief, whatever it might be. You can express feelings and going somewhere where no one can uh, um, uh, hear you. And screaming can be a really good thing to do. Um, feelings can also be expressed by way of simple labeling with, with no carry-on at all. For example, you might be absolutely furious. And just all you need to say is, I need to tell you I'm feeling angry. That will help because you're expressing your feelings. Um, the simple act of labeling. Acknowledge its existence and it will start to go away. Let's apply some of this stuff to marriage in, in particular. Uh, most married couples spend the day apart. Then, at the end of the day, they come back together. Men finishing work, usually that means um, wanting to forget work and have fun. Now, there used to be a song, girls just want to have fun. But when I got married, I suddenly discovered that that's not true at all. Uh, women don't want to have fun. They want to share, which is a completely different thing altogether. Um, for women in general, finishing work usually means wanting to share with their partner what has happened for them during the day. This puts the needs of the husband and the wife at odds to one degree or another. However, as we saw last week from Ephesians 5, the, the, the wise husband puts the wife's needs first. So then, uh, maybe over dinner or over a glass of wine and nibbles or you're walking the dog or you're going around Lake Munger, whatever it is you do, you and your spouse catch up. Often uh, that what might happen now is that the woman will talk uh, about everything that has happened to her that day. might be the other way around. That's fine. But the, let's say the, the woman now talks about everything that has happened to her during that day. To be fair to the husband, this will be difficult for him. Most men come home, irrespective of their type of work, most men come home suffering from information overload. He will experience this situation as demanding because he's now being asked to process yet more information. Information that he could be punished for if he's not paying attention. Furthermore, Furthermore, a man's first instinct when a woman tells him about a problem is to believe that he is the one who is supposed to fix that problem. That's just instinctive in most men. I hear a problem, therefore it's my job to fix it. And if I can't fix it, I'm going to look contemptible, childish, and incapable. And that's unbearable. So let's do something to just completely disrail this conversation before it gets out of hand. Um, but these two difficulties can be overcome. Husbands, your wives don't need you to fix them. They don't want to be fixed. They want you to listen. She doesn't want you to fix your, her problems. 
She does want you to share in her experience of her day. So just listen. Then label and underestimate. A simple question to ask in terms of the conversation going is, what was the best and the worst thing in your day today? Then listen, label, underestimate. When it comes to times of conflict, to times of protracted or heated conflict, these things are still useful. But here are one or two other things that we, that we all need to be aware of. Um, uh, for me, when I have a problem identifying what I'm feeling, I just can't find a label for the emotion that I'm experiencing. It could be that I'm experiencing several emotions simultaneously. If that happens, I have to, I have to work hard to disentangle the various emotions I'm feeling. For example, it's possible to feel grief, relief, and joy simultaneously. For example, at work, you might suddenly find yourself removed from one project in order to be promoted to a greater challenge. In that situation, you may be feeling grief over loss of fellowship with these workmates. Uh, You might be relieved that the problems of that project are now somebody else's problems. And you might be feeling joy at the prospect of a promotion. Grief, relief, and joy simultaneously. Also, men typically flood quicker than women. Not always, but commonly. Flooding, a a psychologist's term, is when your emotions overwhelm you and you are no longer capable of coherent thought. You can't string sentences together. You're no longer capable of rational conversation. You've gone into fight or flight mode. Although nobody knows exactly why men typically flood faster than women, it is extremely important that husbands and wives both, both understand this phenomenon. Uh, for us men, it means that we need to be self-aware enough to say to our wives, I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't talk about this at this point anymore. I, I've flooded. Go for a walk, cool down, take a break. For wives, this can be, quite understandably, this can be infuriating. I mean, she's only just warming up. She's still got a lot to say. But she must listen. If she keeps pushing after her husband really has flooded, he'll go into fight or flight mode, uh, which isn't helpful, or he will stonewall. Stonewalling is when a person completely shuts down, shuts down all communication, in order to simply survive a situation that they feel completely unable to deal with. That's stonewalling. Uh, let's, um, let's, let's summarize. Uh, don't accuse. Let's not accuse each other. Rather, let's talk about ourselves. Uh, I statements, not you statements. Um, we need to express our feelings, not necessarily our thoughts. Perhaps start with mad, glad, sad. But let's commit ourselves to learning the vast English vocabulary of words that describe feelings and emotions. Um, We need to learn the power of saying nothing so as to let the other talk. Then listen, label, underestimate. Ask questions that invite intimacy, such as, what was the best and worst thing about your day? 
we should be aware of the possibility that many possibly conflicting emotions may occur at once. We need to be aware of flooding and avoid stonewalling. And we need to remember that we'll carry this emotion with us for the rest of our lives unless and until we process it by expressing it. What God wants from us, above all, I'm not sure if you've thought about this, but ultimately, what is it that God really wants from you? What does God want from you? What does God want from me? Ultimately, what God wants from us is unrestricted access to our hearts, that we might pour out our hearts to him, that we might walk with him in the spirit, rather than holding him at arm's length, Honoring him with our lips, but with hearts withheld from him. Curiously, it's what our spouses want too. The Lord be with you.